And welcome in. What's up? It is GC Live Wednesday edition of the show. Never a dull moment in Gamecock Nation. He is Chris Clark. I am Wes Mitchell. You are the degenerates, hopefully on YouTube in our chat. If not, uh, if you want to come on over there, you can hang out, I guess, on Twitter, Facebook, or on the podcast after the fact. But we'd actually love to see you on YouTube where um, everybody can give their comments on how they feel about South Carolina's newest news, Chris. And that would be uh, what broke actually, what, man, le- less than an hour before we go on the air here. And um, that would be Ryan Helensky with the, uh, I would say, poorly kept secret um, that he is officially transferring from South Carolina, is in the transfer portal. Um, we're not going to devote the entire show to that. We're also going to talk a little bit about the uh, assistant coaching search as South Carolina looks to fill out the rest of their 10 on-field slots. So with Shane Beamer obviously already having seven guys locked in, we've talked about that really for the last two days. So we'll uh, we'll get into the final three slots and what you could look for there. But obviously the news today, Chris, uh, the biggest news everybody is probably talking about um, among the fan base would be the uh, news that Ryan Helensky is officially in the transfer portal. Yeah, like you said, um, not an unexpected move. This is something that um, people within the program have, you know, sort of expected for a while, thought would probably be the case. Um, it was a little bit more of a question of, you know, I think will it definitely happen? And I think we, we got an answer to that, you know, in recent days where, where we thought this would, would definitely happen and then just sort of when, you know, when would it happen? And so um, I don't know what precipitated the timing specifically on this, but um. You know, it, it's not unexpected. And um, I think with just where things are um, dynamically, you know, within the program, you know, it, it doesn't make this a surprise at all. So uh, not sure what Helensky's next move might be. I would assume he'll have, you know, a decent amount of suitor, suitors and opportunities. Um, but, yeah, the, the news not unexpected that he's eventually he's going to be moving on from South Carolina. Sometimes you see a guy go in the portal and you're not sure – you know, if there's a chance that they might come back. A lot of times guys have sort of destinations in mind. Sometimes it's sort of go in there and see what happens. You even see some some instances where guys go in and eventually come back. don't think that'll be the case here. I think it's sort of just a, a clean break and, uh, you know, move on. Both, both parties just move on to whatever is next in the future. Um, You know, Chris, I, I think uh, – it was kind of interesting following this behind the scenes as well. Um, and, and what's up, everybody in the chat, by the way? What's up to our friend Alan Franklin? Um, Alan came by and spoke to us. Uh, we were at Market on Main there at uh, Main Street, uh, I guess, a couple months ago now. So what's up, Alan? Hope you're doing well, man. Look forward to talking to you soon. Um, by the way, Market on Main hosting a New Year's Eve um, three-course meal, ball drop deal on their big screen on uh, – on New Year's Eve, if you want to go check that out. Really cool situation over there. But uh, So, Chris, it, it was kind of interesting. For a lot of the year, and I don't remember the next it, – it all runs together. We always talk about that. All the sort of stuff you hear runs together. And, and transfers are, are interesting in that it – these things tend to change in that how many times have we heard a guy, oh, he's going to transfer, and then it, it, it doesn't happen. Um happens all the time, right? Um, 
I was joking that I, I had a Johnny Dixon transfers article written. What, dude? Like twelve months ago or something? It was. It was a few years ago at this point. Like, yeah, and it and it so lived. So it ago. lived in our admin for for probably six months, and right. and I went and I finally was like, all right, this is just taking up space. I'm going to delete it, and then he uh, he ends up transferring. You know, after this season. Uh, and it was kind of a surprise this time. But um, Halinski, you know, it was rumored he was going to transfer. And then I would say going into the uh, – right right after the Missouri game, um, which is where obviously Doty took over in the second half at the quarterback position. And at that time, man, it sort of I, – I was, I was told Ryan Halinski is – is out. He's gone. He's going to transfer. He had said that to several people. So then, though, once there was the coaching change and you see, you know, Helensky front row for Beamer's first, you know, first meeting and, and stuff like that, some of the stuff that he posted on social media, I I tend to think the door was maybe cracked there for a second. But then I, I think once, um, you know, once the decision was made, uh, you know, once Mike Bobo was brought back as far as um, the direction South Carolina was going to go on offense, then to me, I, I think that's probably what sort of locked things in, that, that this just wasn't um, wasn't going to work out. And um, there are obviously reasons for that, and there are reasons whenever somebody transfers. And, um, you know, frankly, there are reasons whenever somebody doesn't play. Um, I, I don't think that we should sit here – and just pretend, um, oh, he's leaving because he didn't get a fair shot. When um, none of us see practice anymore, South Carolina needed South Carolina needed to win games this year, right? I mean, the evidence speaks for itself. If they didn't win, which they didn't, Will Muschamp was fired. So they needed to win games this year. If they felt like their best course of action to do that was to play Ryan Helensky more and to start Ryan Helensky. Um, I, I feel very certain that coaches like to keep their jobs and right. that they probably would have, have done that. So, um, you know, that doesn't mean coaches are infallible, Chris. Coaches make mistakes. We all know that, but um, when when Helensky didn't get the start at Ole Miss after the position was really opened up for a competition, that's when the writing was on the wall for me that this probably just wasn't going to work out. Yeah, I agree. And so I think when people when people look at this situation as to why it happened, and you're right, once. Once Mike Bobo came back, then that sort of solidified. Okay, you know, here, here's how it's here's how it's going to go, and then it was just a matter of when. So, I think when people are assuming that there's just no possible way that you know Colin Hill could have reasonably, in an objective like search for who's the number one quarterback, who should there be a change, just assuming that there's no way he could have possibly been better. I'm not sure that's fair because people are talking about fairness. Um, now, could you criticize the coaching staff as it existed as at the time 
of saying, well, maybe you should give someone another shot just to see what happens. I could see that. And that could have been Luke Doty earlier as well. If it wasn't Helensky, it could have been Luke Doty. It could have been, you know, anybody else that they decided to put in there. But the idea that there was like some vendetta, you know, against Helensky, they're just not playing him just, I don't know, for the heck of it. You know, I, I don't subscribe to that. There's, there's not any evidence of that. Um, there's some other things too in there. So, for example, and I, people will say this is excuse or whatever. No, it's just an explanation. It's just looking at it because we've talked, Wes, we've talked about this on the phone a lot off off air. Uh, you know, we've talked about the decision making that went into this, the quarterback situation. We spent a lot of time talking about these things. And here's something else I learned recently. At the at the beginning of the year, or when Colin Hill was quarterback, what was the one good thing that South Carolina did this year? It was the run game. Yeah. And we know a lot of that. Mike Bobo puts a lot on the quarterback in the run game. So early in the year, we, we know that Colin Hill knew this offense better than anybody else, better than Holinsky, better than Luke Doty. He's been in it. He knows it better. Um, and that was one of the things that helped him win the job and, and keep the job for a while. At the beginning of the year, they were double calling runs, run plays. So basically what that means is Mike Bobo's calling in two plays, and then the quarterback goes out there, he looks at the defense, he knows offensively which one's better, you know, for that given play. He kills one play, he goes to the other one, he keeps one on, whatever it may be, they run that play. South Carolina had the leading rusher in the SEC. You know, so the run game was pretty good. Even against teams, you know, they put up some really good run numbers. The passing game, we don't need to relitigate that. It stunk. And there were a lot of reasons behind that. It was, yeah, quarterback play sometimes. Sometimes it was not the quarterback. They had one receiver on this team. Nick Muse did some good things. So that's one aspect. There's a trade-off because when people say, you know, for instance, Ryan Holinsky had better arm talent, or I think Ryan Holinsky should have gotten a shot, you do have to bear in the back of your mind, at least, just to be fair, would there have been some drop-off in the running game in terms of schematic things on the field? Maybe so. You know, so that's just another consideration on on all these things. Um, I think because of Holinsky's stature as a quarterback, you know, a top, what was he, Wes, top 50 guy in the country, four-star guy, big offer list. I think he was number two dual threat. Um, not Ka. Number two <laughs> pocket passing, yeah, right. pro-style quarterback in the country on rivals. Yeah, and tons of recruiting buzz. And then, um, obviously, when things aren't going well on any team, we've seen this at South Carolina and a lot of other places, there's always calls for the backup quarterback, no matter what. And the backup quarterback at times this year just happened to be a guy who had who had played before and had shown some moments at times. Uh, the end of the year last year for South Carolina, they were in similar boat. They only had one receiver at times, and it did not go very well. <laughs> in the passing game or even in the running game last year. So there's just a lot of layers to it. It's hard to boil this down and just simplify it and say, this is why it didn't happen or this wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. There's a lot of layers to, you know, why this is all happening and why it played this played out this way. There's a lot of emotion involved too. It it seems, um, I, I think because South Carolina fans, um, are, emotionally connected to Ryan Helensky and um, obviously he did play last year as a true freshman. And I think he did, um, you know, fans 
sort of obviously got excited about the recruiting aspect of it and the, the fact that this is a guy who comes all the way from California. And obviously they heard about and read about and supported his story, um, you know, with what he and his family went through. So the fact that it's a quarterback, the most high-profile position on the field, the fact that the quarterback and decisions involving a quarterback are already so highly scrutinized anyway, plus throw in the fact that there is an emotional connection to Ryan Helensky from the fan base, I believe makes a lot of what this reaction being, you know, from the fan base is, is going to be emotional because of all those things we just talked about. And um, I don't think, I, I think this is one of those things. No, nobody is going to change. It's kind of like politics. I don't see anybody changing anyone's mind on this no. issue. No. Like if you're sitting there saying Ryan Helensky got absolutely screwed, he should have played, um, you know, this staff is awful. You know, it's all Mike Bobo's fault, blah, 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 blah. Then you're, you're, that, that opinion is not going to be changed, I don't think. If you're sitting here saying, um, you know, it's just time for a move, Helensky um, obviously didn't do the things he needed to do to, to be the starting quarterback, and, um, you know, they did what they thought was best for the team, then um, you're probably not getting your mind changed either, honestly. But I think especially the people who are, are just just absolutely locked in that Ryan Helensky was the best quarterback on this team and didn't play really at all this year um, are very emotionally invested into that thought process. Um, now, if, if, you, if you're telling me he was no question the best quarterback on the team and they just didn't play him, I can't um, I can't really follow that. If, if you're telling me – if you make the argument – that you give Helensky a shot really for the sake of giving him a shot. Right. I, I think the, the, the part about that side of the argument that is much easier to make and that's harder to defend, I think for, you know, for, for Muschamp and, and the offensive staff and all those guys would be that Helensky, you know, didn't, didn't play at all. That would, if I'm trying to make an argument on that side, it's that you should have given him a shot. Now, again, I go back to, the uh, the week before Ole Miss, open quarterback competition. Um, that that wasn't some sham. That was a true open quarterback competition. You don't open yourself up to that type of criticism as a head coach and say there's an open competition and just hand the ball back to the original starting quarterback. It was a true competition. I subscribe to the theory, Chris, that they wanted to give Ryan Helensky a shot that week. Um, that's what I had heard. They wanted to give him a shot. They wanted him to take take it and win the job that week. And he had a good day of practice early that week. And then the rest of the week just um, didn't. And they, they were forced to start heel. Um, and I think – some of the argument on that side falls apart also when people say Bobo was just completely tied to Colin Hill. Well, if that was the case, then halfway through Bobo's 
first game as interim football coach, he wouldn't have made a change at quarterback if he was that just locked in and tied to Hill. Um, so as Andrew Bowers now asked, if Doty was so good, why wasn't he the guy from day one? That's a very easy question to answer, Andrew. He's a true freshman who didn't get to go through spring practice because spring practice was cut short. He was there. He was at South Carolina, but it was a five practice spring practice. So the, these are, these are real people. It's a dynamic situation. It's not static. What you are as the player, as a player day one, as a true freshman is not the same player you are. What was that by then week, week eight. So, you know, it's it, you had a bye week in there as well, seven games in a bye. You're a different player. Plus, if you really want to scrutinize something there, the decision to to met, to mix Doty in at wide receiver early on, as opposed to just putting him at quarterback and letting him soak up everything he possibly could at that position. If you really want to start diving into this thing, I think that's a strong argument as well, Chris. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of different, you know, again, layers there. I mean, you could say, well, you know, if, if you're worried about the, uh, you know, the mobility aspect and, t- and holding on to the ball too long and, and not having enough dynamicism on offense aside from just Kevin Harris in your run game, maybe do you mix in Doty more? Remember, that was a conversation a lot, not just a receiver, but put Doty out there and package more things for him. That was certainly a thing and that we discussed a lot during the season, and that's a valid criticism or – um, you know, just give Ryan an opportunity more at the end of the games or whatever. Like these are these are valid things. What I think I personally, from a personal standpoint, push back against is just this notion that there's just absolutely no way that you know Ryan would have been head and shoulders given this situation this year. Maybe we would have, and I think that's where a lot of people's frustrations lie is because they look at it and they say it wasn't going that well at the quarterback position at all, sometimes poor, quite poorly. And look, a lot of that had to do, again, receivers. They're just, there's just not a lot there. It was some minor miracles that they were able to, you know, to move the football at all this year and to have the running game that they did, I think was surprising in some ways. I mean, this offense was a huge concern going into this year. So there's some valid criticisms there. But just to, to say that, Ryan was definitely the best option. South Carolina knew he's the best option and just to let him not to play him because I don't know, maybe Mike Bobo just likes Colin Hillmore. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and like you said, Wes, he, he made the change later and made it to Luke Doty. And, you know, I think there are some reasons behind that mobility, you know, being one of them. Um, I remember at, at Colorado state at one point, you know, Bobo pulled the plug on, um, you know, Carter Samuels, KJ Carter Samuels there at one point who had been their starter. They were just struggling as a team offensively, and he made a change to Colin Hill, who was young at that time, uh, just to try something different to sort of build for the next year. And it felt similar that way, you know, for Luke Doty as well. So um, th- there's a lot of different angles to understand and, and a lot of different types of things to dive into. But I agree with you in that a lot of people have sort of drawn their line with where they're going to fall on this, and that's that. You know, I think people who thought Holinsky should have definitely played think that and are going to use it to say, 
you know, whatever they're going to say about the staff. I think some people are going to say, oh, he absolutely shouldn't have played and, you know, or maybe going to use that to just illustrate that, you know, Colin Hill should have played or Luke Doty or whatever it may be. Um, but that's what we try to discuss it here. We just try to, you know, hash it out and figure out what's what, what's factual, and then just discuss it as a group here. Yeah, and um, like I said, no, nobody's going to change their mind, so and that, that's fine. Everybody's got their opinion. It's cool. It's a new day anyway. Um, new head coach, uh, new staff coming on board. And um, before we get into that, though, Chris, uh, this show is brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Um, check them out, 803-926-1493. Again, AffordableMedicalUSA.com, home of the game day chair. And, uh, Chris, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about the game day chair? Maybe they got some money for Christmas and they should buy themselves a little New Year's present as we uh, say good riddance to 2020 and move on to what is hopefully going to be a much better 2021. Yeah, you know, I don't know at this rate if you can get the game day chair before New Year's Eve, but if you do, have your toast at midnight. Fall asleep maybe in the game day chair, in your man cave, in your living room. Super comfortable. Put it in the zero gravity position, which is the twilight position on the Maxi Comfort Cloud. That's the official name of the game day chair. And get yourself a nice nap. And when you wake up, it'll be 2021. Forget all the just stuff that has happened this past year. So hit up the game day chair, affordablemedicalusa.com. It's not a medical chair. If you have back pain and stuff, awesome. You can use it and it will help you out. Um, but it's just a super comfortable recliner is basically how you can think of it. 803-926-1493. And while you're at it, make sure that you're sporting your dead soxy socks, cold weather, cold outside, gloomy outside today, Wes. Sport your dead soxy socks, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Um, check out their college line, the Spurline Socks. We had a couple people say that they had ordered their Dead Soxy Socks and absolutely love them, so make sure you go and check those guys out at deadsoxy.com. So let, let's move this forward. We, you know, we can go back and forth about um, why it happened, how it happened, if it should have happened, etc. cetera. Um, and by the way, I saw a couple of questions. I, I don't know where Helens is going to end up next. Um, have, have you heard any speculation on that yet, Chris? I have not. I have not at this at this stage. Okay, so I I mean we're not just ignoring the question. Um, I don't know. If, I mean maybe somebody knows, but we we haven't heard that. So the the bigger question here, let's as we always try to do, Chris, let's move this forward and try to bring the conversation forward into the future. What do you think this means for South Carolina's quarterback room? <laughs> quarterback position and what would your plan be man because um so so we know now Helensky is out as far as we know you know Colin Hill has not put out anything publicly as far as his his plans frankly you know moving forward and um he was a senior but um obviously he would have another year of eligibility if he wanted it uh, we'll see if he takes that um, opinion. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know if he didn't take take his final year here at South Carolina. Uh, just my opinion. So so let's say if that happens, you're out, Polinsky. You're out, Do- or you're you have Doty coming back. Obviously, you have Colton Gothier coming in. Um, 
Jay Yurick moves to a sort of uh, graduate assistant or player type um, coaching off the field type role, um, I believe. So you're left with two scholarship guys at the quarterback position um, at the least or three at the most, uh, depending on Colin Hill. Does that mean that you go out and um, try to find a guy with, with some experience that can transfer in? That That is an intriguing idea. And so I'll start – I'll answer your question or your discussion point by saying uh, I don't know, you know, if, if that's the route that South Carolina is going to take. But when you look at it on the surface, it may not be a bad idea, particularly if – let's let's – put the hypothetical forward um, and, and we should know an answer at some point, you know, maybe in the near future, but let's say it is just Doty and Colton Gothier will be a true freshman. Now he will enroll in January, but let's say it's those two on the roster. Well, you may want to take a look at filling it out with another guy who comes in. Now, who could you get particularly if it's a guy that maybe doesn't believe he'll necessarily uh, win the starting position. I don't know. So, that's something that South Carolina is really going to have to try to balance. They've also got, look, when you, when you look at, for instance, the transfer portal, they've got needs at defensive back big time, linebacker big time, maybe a pass rusher. Uh, obviously, wide receiver is a huge point of emphasis in recruiting and in the transfer portal. So will a quarterback from a numbers standpoint be a huge point of emphasis? I don't know. You know, I tend to think that this offense, as it did, you know, I, I referenced earlier the situation at Colorado State where Mike Bobo made a quarterback change. He did that at the end of the year once he took the interim reins. And I feel like that was both for this season and as a move towards the future. So it seems like when we're just looking at the current constitution of this roster, of this program, it seems like things are sort of trending in the direction of Luke Doty has a really good chance to take this and be the guy. You know, Shane Beamer's mentioned incorporating some more Oklahoma-type um, things into this offense. That might be more quarterback run. You know, that's not going to be wide open. We've, we've discussed this sort of ad nauseum. That doesn't mean they're going to start chucking the ball around the yard, nor should they do that. That would be a demonstrably, objectively bad plan with what they have coming back at the receiver position and what they have at running back. But, you know – Doty does give you a more mobile option. He gives you the opportunity to incorporate more quarterback run. I think Wes just sitting here right now without them being close to spring practice here in the off season, everything's sort of being new, still a lot of questions to be answered. It just seems like things are going in the direction of a Luke Doty, you know, being the guy going forward. Yeah. And I, I think part of it is, man, you start to look at these, um, 11, I think it's 11 scholarships you have left and start trying to divvy them up among the areas of need. And I'm, I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad I'm not having to make these decisions, to be honest with you, yeah. because uh, I, I think you, you have to sort of mark off three spots for wide receivers. And then how, I mean, how many more spots for DBs? You know, you, you've got to bring, you got to bring in, I would say, almost an entire uh, like first string of DBs, almost like like four four guys maybe, and so that I mean that chips away um, at your available scholarships right off the bat, and, and anybody that transfers in, 
has to, um, you know, has to take one of those slots. Now, uh, you know, is there a possibility maybe you sort of are able to manipulate your numbers a little bit, dude, if you uh, at the end could take an extra depth guy here or there at a position that you push forward until the next class that you take in August? Uh, you know, that, that may be a way to um, – to, to work your numbers a little bit. But unfortunately, these spots are such big needs. You need to feel comfortable. You need to go ahead and get some of these guys and get them in and let them go through spring, right? Because they're going to need to be big impact players on your offense and defense in, uh, in, in 2021. So you don't really want to be waiting for a guy to get there in August and be learning everything. And um, then you possibly miss on him. And you don't fill that role at, at all. So I, I tend the thing that would bother me or scare me would be if you're in a situation where Colin Hill doesn't come back, Ryan Helinski is gone, just having two scholarship quarterbacks, one being a true sophomore, um, an act, a freshman as far as um, COVID eligibility goes, I guess, but. Uh, in reality, really, a true sophomore and a true freshman coming in, um, that has the potential to go bad pretty fast. And and most people, most schools want to have you know three scholarship guys um, on campus at, at any one given time. So I, I agree. I, I think Doty has every opportunity to be the future of this program, but also I would be very concerned about the potential of just having two scholarship guys. Yeah, hundred percent. And and so that's gonna be you mentioned, you know, taking a spot. So if you take another quarterback in this class and you take them if, if you don't have a way to, to sort of uh fudge the numbers, you bring them in say in January or even this summer, you know, it's probably gonna be a guy that is an initial counter. So you get twenty five initial counters in a class as you mentioned, South Carolina only has – it's the number 11 right now that they've got to work off of, you said? That, that's my count, yeah. Yeah, so four four of those guys being, you know, players that they had to count towards the number, then the guys that they signed in December, and so they've got 11 left. So would you maybe like to use one on a quarterback to give yourself some, you know, a cushion? Yeah, you would, but then you take away – that gives you 10, and now you're splitting those up between receiver, DB, linebacker, all these other needs that you have on your roster that may be more pressing. You know, you just you worry about it in terms of, like you said, Wes, the quarterback depth. So if you take one, you, you don't want to use a spot on a quarterback if it's just a guy that you know may not be impactful for you in year one. So that's, you know, that's the direction they're sort of going to have to go in terms of figuring out how to allocate all these spots and what they want to do at quarterback, because you're right. You, I would be extremely nervous about having two, you know, and, and that could be a position that they get into sooner than later. It's a realistic, you know, possibility on the table. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll be very interesting again, because that receiver, you're not, you don't just need quality. You need quantity of guys as well. Um, and you're going to have to split that up, grad, you know, not grad transfer, just transfers in general, transfers slash, um, you know, high school guys or JUCO guys, DB, the same thing, linebacker, the same thing, a pass rusher, if they have an opportunity to get one, they'll take one. So 
then, you know, you start to sort of get to those final scholarships you have available. And I think, Chris, you also have a, a best available sort of mindset maybe with the final spot too. If, if there's a stud at, a, at another position, but he's yeah. just that good, you, you take him. Um, in an ideal world, you're going to fill these spots with some instant impact guys. And then maybe if there's a quarterback, even if he's a career backup type guy, man, if I could push him forward and get him in late, maybe there's some connection um, to one of the current guys on staff or something, and it just happens to work out that you could bring in a backup in order to come in and be a veteran um, that you just weren't scared to death about. Because then, I mean, Luke Doty's also a running quarterback, so he's going to get hit. Uh, so that, that's uh, – Again, that's, that's a scary proposition there. Lisa on YouTube asks, if scholarship players transfer out, does that free up more scholarships to use? Um, yes and no, Lisa. It does for – everybody has an 85 scholarship cap, and um, obviously that takes away one of those spots. That's just a, a running list of everybody that's currently on scholarship. It can't go over 85. So – you can now take that spot. But as far as this 11 that we're talking about, which is an initial counter, they call it, you get 25 per year. Um, you, you don't get that. You don't get that back. You don't get another one. If you, if somebody transfers out. So as far as the initial counters go, I would say those Chris are about as locked in as they possibly can, can be, which uh, obviously is not ideal, but everybody's playing for this playing with the same rules on this. Yeah, and the only way you get around that 25 is if you have a situation, just to use a, a recent example, you know, Kai Kroger and Mitch Jeter, the uh, two specialists, punter and kicker, that South Carolina brought in in the 2020 class, they actually enrolled late. They didn't take an official visit to South Carolina, so under NCAA rules they weren't recruited, quote-unquote, athletes, even though they were recruited, but that's sort of the rule. And so South Carolina was able to – it's called a blue shirt. So they were able to blue shirt those guys. They enrolled late. They didn't take an official visit. They didn't sign. They just enrolled at that time, and they counted forward to this class. Now, it's sort of just robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit because you're just putting it off basically. So they didn't use scholarships in the 2020 class, but they had to use them in the 21 class. So if you don't – if you have guys that don't count as an initial 25 counter in one class, they're going to count somewhere. At some point, they have to count. Really, the exception to that, the only one I can think of is if you got a guy who walks onto your program after two years, if you put him on scholarship after two years, he counts towards the 85, but not an initial counter. But obviously, that's a situation that you can't recruit a bunch of guys and get them to come pay their own way for two years and then scholarship them. So. For, for recruiting purposes, you're not really going to see, you know, a lot a lot of that. Yeah, and, and that rule, I mean, that's a good rule, I think, that that part of it. It's basically designed to where um, you can't do what Chris is talking about, recruit a guy in for, you know, as a walk-on and then put him on, you know, put him on Scully uh, a month in. But then that's in place so that you won't be penalized for putting those guys on, on scholarship that earn – their way a lot of times usually special teams guys or depth guys that have stuck around in the program have done a really good job have worked really really hard and have put themselves in a, you know and a lot of like a Parker White Parker White comes in as a walk-on 
wins the starting job. Eventually, you know, you, you put him on scholarship. Chandler Farrell got put on scholarship. So there's all types of examples of that. And I, I think that's actually a – I don't agree with all the rules. I think that's a good rule. Um, let's talk about this coaching uh, search a little bit, assistant coaching search. Um, update right now, Chris, on – on GamecockCentral.com for people who want to uh, check that out. I am, I have reactivated the GC pod. Um, reactivated. Look at yes. That. Free, free trial. Gamecock Central 30 day free trial. Use the code GC pod. Come on over. And if you want to see Chris's latest update, um, you can. Nothing finalized yet, but I, I think a picture is becoming a little bit clearer. And I'm going to ask it like this, Chris. I'm going to go strictly off of the front page link to your update. And there's a picture of Derek Mason. Um, Why'd you do that? You were the one that did it. (laughs) So I am the one who did it. And it's not really been a secret that Derek Mason's name has been thrown into this mix. Yeah. So – Let's play the what if game. Um, what if Shane Beamer brings in Derek Mason? Um, what I, I think the fan base, from my judge, seems pretty excited about that possibility. What, what do you think a guy like Derek Mason would bring the South Carolina program if that ends up being, um, I'll say it like this, if that ends up being Beamer's pick? And if South Carolina ends up being Mason's pick, because I, I believe Derek Mason ha, has some options out there. Yeah, so as you teased, full update on the site for those of you who want to check it out. We also have DB coach, wide receiver coach, some other move sort of updates. But so under here, hypothetical about Mason, you know, this is a guy that obviously he was at Stanford. He, he's got a lot of really versatile coaching experience. He's been a head coach, but don't even really need to talk about that because he's not being – hired anywhere to be a head coach he's you know a defensive coordinator those are his opportunities that'd be the opportunity at South Carolina so you know he's coached special teams he's coached receivers he's coached DBs so you know in the role as defensive coordinator obviously responsible for the defense but his background in terms of position coaching is not linebacker it's not D-line it's in the secondary exclusively so DB background I would imagine he would take a pretty um you know, probably coach one of the positions, safety, corner, or at least take an active, very active role in the secondary. And he's got a good reputation. You know, he came from Stanford where he was a defensive coordinator there. He sort of moved up in the business, NFL experience, then a co-defensive coordinator and position coach at Stanford, then into the defensive coordinator role and assistant head coach or associate head coach, one of those titles under David Shaw. And so, uh, you know, a really uh, pretty highly regarded guy in terms of, you know, what he can do. Um, he has run, you know, three, four in the past. I think that's going to be a Gamecocks fan's biggest thing. What's the scheme going to look like? And a lot of people are going to think three, four, because he did that at Stanford. He did that at Vandy. But actually, they did run some four, three at Vandy in his time there, sort of evolving um, to, you know, account for, what some teams are doing. And, and at times at Vandy, he had a defensive coordinator, and at times he ran the defense himself. But if you go back and look at his bio information, there's some you know, some pretty intriguing statistics and things that he did as a defensive coordinator there. Yeah, and I, I tend to think um, 
if you look, just what I remember watching South Carolina play Vandy, that uh, it, it did sort of evolve. It, it seemed like there, you know, it, it was kind of um, kind of like what you you see around college football is even these schools that that are three four defenses, they're they're really not anymore, especially when you're playing against a spread team and. Um, you know, you may have a stand-up rusher, a guy that's sort of like the buck in, in South Carolina's position, you know, South Carolina's scheme this past year. And, you know, whether or not whether or not you're in a 3-4 or 4-3 um, is really entirely determined by if that guy's got his hand in the dirt or not, you know. So um, there's all types of different ways you can actually structure your scheme that I would say goes, goes beyond um, – you know, is it a three-man front? Is it a four-man front? Is it an you know, are you an odd and even front up? You know, are you uh, two gap, one gap, stuff like that? Um, are you going to play more zone? Are you going to play more man? Are you going to do both? Are you going to structure it as more of a bend but don't break? Are you going to be more aggressive? I mean, there are so many different ways that you can structure it, and then so many different things you can do out of you know the different structures. So, um, I think Chris, if if he ends up being the guy then there are – I think there's some credibility that that gives you because I, I think Derek Mason um, is known as a strong defensive mind. He's a well-known person that I think recruits are going to obviously recognize the name. And I, I think there's some value if you're a first-year head coach to now you, you have an offensive coordinator, a defense coordinator, and a special teams coordinator that all um, – you know, if this ends up happening, that all will have prior head coaching experience. Yeah, and, you know, I I saw, you know, one of the uh, – not certainly not picking on anybody, but someone in the comments I can't properly credit said that, you know, Stanford was decent. I think they, they were a little bit better than decent when, uh, when Mason was there. Obviously, Vanderbilt, you know, I, I mean – you're going to be limited there defensively a lot of the times. And Mason did not always run the defense there. But when you look at Stanford, I mean, 2012, that was uh, – some people consider that the best Stanford defense that they've had. He was a Boyles Award finalist. Um, they led the Pac-12 in scoring defense, total defense, rushing defense. They went 11-2, and two, won the Rose Bowl. Um, 11 of 14 games, they held the opponent to 20 or fewer points. You know, and so uh, – they were among the best in the NCAA in, def- in defensive efficiency for three consecutive years. You know, one year they had held opponents to 89 rushing yards a game. So, I mean, there are some really good, really impressive numbers there. Does that mean that's going to translate to Carolina in year one? No, please, please don't anybody expect that, you know. But uh, there are some good, you know, numbers and, and good things there that, that Derek Mason's done in his career as a defensive coordinator. No doubt, man. Uh, something else I want to address here, um, a comment that says uh, they made Beamer keep those four coaches. Um, we, I mean, we always see stuff just get thrown around as a fact, but what? I mean, what evidence is there anywhere that Shane Beamer was made to keep these exact four coaches? I mean, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. I – Chris, have, has anyone told you that South Carolina forced Shane Beamer to keep these exact four coaches? Um, no, nobody that um, – I'm trying to think of a of a correct way to say this. Nobody that actually knows <laughs> has told yeah. me that. So, I mean, yeah. certainly people 
you know, even in some conversations I've had with, you know, people in the industry sort of speculate that, but no, I mean, you look at, you know, and I, I'd, I'd go back to what Shane Beamer even said publicly, but beyond that, just some things we heard. I mean, Mike Bobo was a name that we heard during the search process, not even after Beamer was named, but Hey, who would some of these different coaches who are on the radar for head coach, who would they bring? Mike Bobo was one that we heard. And Shane Beamer said publicly that if Mike Bobo was somewhere else, pretend he was at, I don't know, wherever, you know, that he would have called Mike Bobo. So that made sense. Des Kitchings made a ton of sense. I mean, anybody that walked in here in this building um, to be the head coach at South Carolina was going to give Des Kitchings a hard look. You know, the other two, I don't know if at the outset of the process we saw that as likely, but he's worked with Tracy Rocker before and knows him. And Mike Peterson was the only guy that he didn't have as much familiarity with, but just doing some research and seeing what players think of him, what the reputation was, how he is as a coach, you know, decided to keep him too. So I don't know that there was – I certainly haven't heard from anyone uh, reputable that I've spoken with that, that any of those moves were, you know, forced or anything. Um, John asks, is there any talk about Kevin Still interviewing? Uh, yeah, Kevin Still's name has been out there. Um Jay Bateman's name, obviously, at, at North Carolina. That's one that I would say, Chris, still just doesn't seem to have completely gone away uh, would be Jay Bateman at, at North Carolina. Um, a lot of different names that sort of floated around out there, but it, it seems like, you know, Still's name popped up quite, quite a bit at, at one time, I, I would say. And uh, Bateman's name was out there from the very beginning, never has completely gone away. And, um you know, we'll, we'll see how this thing ends up. Yeah, you know, Bateman um, was certainly a name. You know, I mentioned how we were tracking Bobo for a potential Beamer staff early. That Bateman was one of the first names that we heard there um, as a guy that's been regarded well for his work as a defensive coordinator in the coaching industry, coaching world. And, um, you know, just over time has seemed to – the name has not faded at all, as you said, Wes, but maybe the chances. And I think – you know, you look at it, North Carolina obviously thinks highly of him too and has, you know, he get, they gave him a raise last year. I think they bumped him up to, I think, $900,000. Maybe he gets another bump this time. Maybe they try to do some other things to make sure that he's kept in place. So that's certainly something to think about too. Um, it's not, you know, you, you talk about this often, Wes, whether it's Derek Mason or Jay Bateman or other coaches, it's not just picking a guy, right? It's not just – um, I like this guy. We're going to hire him. Like he has to decide to come to, and there's a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, and so this is a good defensive coordinator job. You're going to be paid well, get a new staff, a new clock, as they say, as you think about in the industry, and it's a good place to live. Um, but there are other places that are good situations for coaches too, particularly if, you know, the administration at those particular places you know, makes strong efforts to keep them on. I think that's happened with Jay Bateman as well. Yep. So, um, all right, man, I, I think, uh, I think this show has run its course for today. Um, everybody's in a bad mood in the chat. I think, um, <laughs> it's been a strange day. I feel like, yeah. So, uh, any closing thoughts, Chris? No closing thoughts. I really appreciate everybody's participation. Uh, Lots of interesting comments today, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll continue tracking it. 
We'll continue. Uh, check out GamecockCentral.com updates on the coaching search. Should be some more moves here in the next couple few days as well. Um, yeah, we can we can hit this real quick. Travis um, Edwards, Chris, wanted to talk about uh, Juju McDowell and his big game in, in the state championship. Um, dude, this kid has been on fire. Uh, I would say the latter part of the year, it's like every time you look, He's having a huge game. Um, I I feel awful for him. He did fumble late in the game, was dealing with some cramps, um, but really had put his team on his back. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, 14 carries for 92 yards and a touchdown. Three catches for 58 yards, uh, 276 all-purpose yards, had I think a 95-yard kickoff return for touchdown. And um, – just has been a huge, huge part of that Lee County team and, and their offense and playmaker. And, um, you know, Beamer said it straight up on his uh, his uh, National Signing Day thing. This is this is a potential early impact guy, someone we expect to make an early impact. So I, um, I thought that was telling, and this is someone we know the staff has been really high on for a long time. And when you look at a lack of true playmakers on offense, yeah, yes, South Carolina actually is in really good shape at running back. Kevin Harris, Deshaun Fenwick back, add Marshawn Lloyd into that. But uh, Judy McDowell has, has been somebody that he does catch the football pretty well, can probably do some things for you in the slot. And shoot, man, I and I who do, do you remember who South Carolina opens up with next year? I can't even remember who it is, but. It's scheduled to be uh, – what's the school? Eastern Illinois, I think it is, who's actually playing in the spring. Um, yeah, I – well, that'll, yeah, that'll be interesting. Whoever it is, point being, I wouldn't – I actually wouldn't be surprised if Juju McDowell was opening up the season uh, receiving the first kickoff of the year because I, I think they need a guy like him. Uh, they don't really have someone on the roster that's a proven threat um, in that part of the game and would be a way to get him the football. Yeah, I mean, you look at – this is – I think this was a really good evaluation by Des Kitchings just when you look at the tape. The guy can do a lot of different things. He can catch the ball. He can run it between the tackles. He can run it on the perimeter. He can help you, as you said, Wes, as a special teams returner. He's played defense too, so he, he's got some toughness. He runs bigger than his size, and he has some burst. And so – um I think, you know, he maybe could be used similar to how NC State used Naheem Hines, you know, who Kitchens recruited at NC State and now is in the NFL. Um, I think there's some similarities there stylistically. So um, he's maybe not gotten enough buzz, you know, just because there hadn't been a lot of buzz about this recruiting class in general. But there are some guys that are going to help this team and maybe help them sooner than later. So Juju's been extremely productive and is a guy that they seem to be pretty excited about. Yeah, and uh, fits that the Des Kitchens mold, man. He uh, he identified him, offered him. I think sounds like he was very high on him, and uh, went out and got him. And and generally, that there's a good track record there with uh, with players like Juju McDowell. So um, Will McLean asked, is he signed or just committed? He is signed up with the Gamecocks. Uh, made that official on the early the first day of early signing period. So. All right, y'all, that's going to do it. Uh, He's Chris. I'm Wes. This has been GC Live. Come check us out, GamecockCentral.com. Use the code GCPOD for a free 30 days if you're not already on there. 
We'll see you then and we'll see you tomorrow.